Welcome to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ, located in the Lehigh Valley of Pennsylvania. I'm Pastor Mike Landsman, and these podcasts are taken from my weekly Sunday morning sermons. We pray that they will bless you, and we would love for you to come visit us and make our church home, hopefully, become your church home. Here's what we have for today. So last week was Epiphany. We looked at the story of the three wise men. Well, we don't know how many there were. Maybe there were three. Could have been more. Uh, And their journey to see Christ and how our search leads us from joy to worship. Also is the inclusion of the Gentiles into the kingdom of God, which is a theme that you'll see continuing through today's readings uh, as well. And uh, today we're going to look at the story of the baptism of Jesus in the Jordan by John the Baptizer. Uh, and we'll see these themes of uh, water and fire highlighted, which you've heard throughout the, through the, the call to worship and through these texts, particularly in Isaiah, and then also explicitly here in the Gospel of Luke. And so when we talk about the Isaiah passage, where, it, where God says, I have redeemed you, I have called you, you are mine. When you pass through the water, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overwhelm you. When you walk through fire, you shall not be burned, and the flame shall not consume you, for I am God your Savior." What's remarkable to me about this Old Testament text from the prophet Isaiah is a bit obscured kind of by the chapter and verse breaks. Uh, In chapter 42, because our reading today was the first few verses from chapter 43, but chapter 42 ends with God saying that Israel has become a people to be plundered with no one to rescue them. We see that God had given them over to be plundered because of their sin. But in spite of this happening to them over and over and over again, they don't see and they don't understand. And the prophet makes this clear in chapter 42. Which then leads us into what we heard this morning in chapter 43. Where God says he has called them. And God says, I have redeemed you as if these things have already happened. God says that when they pass through the water, he will be with them. And what's amazing to me about this text, it's not just that God is laying out a promise of redemption and restoration, because we definitely see that here. He's also laying out a pattern that he himself will participate in later on. God's people will not be alone when they pass through water or fire, because Jesus himself is going to pass through the waters first. He's going to do it first, and he will not be consumed by the waters of chaos, but he will tame them and make them salvific, just as we saw or heard about the waters of creation earlier. And like we heard in the psalm from our call to worship, God sits enthroned over the flood as king forever. It also says when they walk through the fire, they will not be consumed or burned. Now, when Jesus is baptized, we know the story. The Spirit descends upon him like a dove. But when we read the book of Acts, when the Holy Spirit descends on his disciples, what does St. Luke describe the sight as? Something was resting on their heads. Huh? No, no, flames. Yeah, flames. We see Jesus, the Spirit descending like a dove on Jesus. But at Pentecost... When his disciples are gathered, it says, and there appeared on their heads flames of fire or tongues of fire, right? So we see visibly the Holy Spirit in the form of fire at the day of Pentecost. And does the fire consume them? No, it does not. It does not. So water and fire are also both symbols for judgment. So I think it's possible to say here that Jesus is using those symbols of judgment and he's transforming them 
into something salvific, into vehicles for our salvation. And through all of this, God will lead his offspring from the north, from the south, from the east, and the west, and he's going to lead them all back to himself through the water and through the fire. And we see in the Gospel of Luke, people were coming to talk to John the baptizer because they thought he might be the Messiah. And he's like, no, somebody mightier than me is coming. Like, I'm not even worthy to latch his shoes together or untie his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then he says, um, as the people were being baptized, Jesus was there too. And Jesus also gets baptized and he was praying. And we know the story of the Holy Spirit descends like a dove and we hear the voice. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So John the baptizer is fulfilling his mission. We talked about this a lot already to prepare the way for the coming Messiah. He's so dynamic and so unlike what the people normally have experienced due to no doubt his fiery preaching and bold proclamation against wickedness, it was different from what they were used to. And this, unfortunately, he was so bold, well, not unfortunately, he was so bold, he preached against some of the bad things that the rulers of the people were doing. He preached against the king, taking his brother's wife. And John said, that's not okay. <laughs> that's bad. You shouldn't have done that. That is wicked. And what does Herod do? Eventually, he locks John up, throws him in the prison, and we know the story. Later on, he gets beheaded for taking a stand against evil. And brothers and sisters, like John the Baptist, we too are called at times to speak uncomfortable truths to power. We have to be careful not to over-spiritualize this. These have practical aspects as well. And that might mean we undergo persecution ourselves when we call out what is evil, when we call what is wicked, wicked. Anyway, that's a little sidebar there. So this point of what's going on here with John, John counters their notions of thinking he's the Messiah. And he says, if you think that this has been something spectacular, wait till the Messiah actually shows up. What I'm doing, this is nothing. When he comes, it's going to be this times a thousand. Right? John's ministry has been preaching repentance and the need to prepare the hearts of the people for Jesus using the tool of water baptism. And so when confronted by the people's questions, he's essentially saying, this is just water. The Messiah is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So get that image, if you can, immersion in the Spirit and in in fire. He then says when the Messiah comes, he's going to divide everything up. He's going to clean out the old, burn it up, and gather the new. And we know Jesus doesn't need to be baptized because he's the sinless Lamb of God. But what he's doing here is he's setting the pattern for all who will follow him, right? If we are to follow him, we are to take up our cross daily and follow him. And he sets the pattern that we are to live by, right? Our, the Christian life is cruciform. Our life is patterned after Jesus. It's patterned after who he is, what he's done, and what he continues to do for us. None of us probably will ever be crucified, but all of us will die. But before we die, we can die in the waters of baptism, right? Because that's when we die and are buried, and then we are raised with Christ, freed from the power of sin and death, and given the gift of the Holy Spirit, as the scriptures tell us. 
And this story, the interaction in the Gospel of Luke between John and Jesus is a little bit more subdued than in the other Gospel accounts. Jesus just basically shows up and then he gets baptized. There's not like a lot of back and forth conversation between Jesus and John here. But like the other gospel accounts, we get the heavens opening, the voice of the Father, and the Spirit descending like a dove. This is hugely important, not only because Jesus is being marked for ministry by the Father, but this is all also the revealing of God as Trinity. And you've heard this throughout the hymnography today and through the readings and everything. God is revealed as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's a hymn for Theophany which we're going to confess in a few minutes. It says this, When you, O Lord, were baptized in the Jordan, the worship of the Trinity was made manifest. For the voice of the Father bore witness to you, calling you his beloved Son, and the Spirit in the form of a dove confirmed the truth of his word. O Christ, our God, who has appeared and enlightened the world, glory be to you. Now this is hugely important uh, for Christian theology because it not only reveals the Trinity in a fuller way, but also helps make sense of some Old Testament readings that can be a little confusing for us, but we won't talk about that today because we don't have the time. So when we, when we think about the Trinity, we have to understand that the, the, the doctrine of the Trinity is not an invention of Greek philosophy. It's not this foreign idea that was imported into Christianity hundreds and hundreds of years after Jesus left. Now we see in Scripture that God as Father, God as Son, and God as Holy Spirit has roots not only in what we see revealed fully at Jesus' baptism, but also we see it in the Old Testament as well. In Acts 8, 14 to 17, then we have the story of the apostles of Jerusalem going down to Samaria. So Philip, we know this, right, went down to Samaria because of persecution in Jerusalem. So, in, so Peter and John get sent to come to Samaria to kind of see what's happening. So remember, way back in the beginning, well, not the beginning, way back in the beginning, uh, St. Stephen and, and St. Philip are called, they're called to be deacons. And we see that in the story, the, some people were being neglected in the daily distribution of food. So, they, so the apostle says, look, we're like, we're like searching the scriptures, we're, we're preaching, we're teaching, it's too, we need some help. And so they said, well, let's appoint people to help us in the daily distribution so nobody gets overlooked. And Philip was one of them. And so Philip then, after James is killed, they kind of scatter out of Jerusalem and he goes there to Samaria and he preaches Christ and he does it boldly. And many people in Samaria are converted. Now we have to remember that the Samaritans and the Jews were both at odds with and hated one another. They both saw each other as aberrations. So essentially, the Samaritans were descendants from the the children of Israel who were taken away into captivity by the Assyrians, I think, in the 600s. The northern kingdom of Israel completely wiped away, and these are their descendants kind of resettled there by the Assyrians after they sort of mixed and mingled, mingled with the surrounding peoples. So they had a place of worship. They even had their own Torah, but this put them at odds with the, the, the Jews, because they had the Torah, and they had the temple, and the Samaritans had their place, and the Jews had their place. And so there was some tension around this time. It had kind of reached a fever pitch, and they really, really hated each other. So what we have here is, it's, it's really interesting, because we have a Jew going to Samaria, going to these outsiders, and preaching Christ, and seeing them converted. 
So St. Philip, he preaches Christ. He baptizes the Samaritans who, who believed. The years and years of separation are finally starting to come to a close. Philip is saying the Messiah has come. Here's how you can be a part of this. No more exclusion. This Isaiah prophecy about God drawing those is starting to come true. We saw that last week as well with the coming of the wise men to seek out Christ. This is really good news that these artificial walls of division that have sprung up, God is breaking these walls down. He's destroying them in Christ. And so Peter and John come down and do something that Philip doesn't do, or maybe something he couldn't do. They come down, and the people had already been baptized. They laid their hands on them, and it says they received the gift of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus sets the example, goes through the water, goes through the fire, patterning for all of us, all of us to come, our own entrance into his family. What's really interesting here, and I don't have an answer, is Philip is referred to in Acts as someone who was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. But what he does after he baptizes them, he waits for the apostles to come to lay hands on them first to receive to receive uh, the Spirit. And I always wondered, like, why didn't he just do it himself? But that's an interesting question. I have to study that a little bit more in depth because I, I don't know the answer to that. Just something for you all to think about on the way home. So we though still, still specifically see this clear link, though, between baptism and the Spirit, between the waters of baptism and the fire of the Spirit. They're clearly seen. And every believer will both walk into the water, will die with Christ, will come out of the water, raise with Christ, and be immolated by the fire of the Spirit when hands are laid upon them. This is the pattern of Christian initiation given to us by Jesus himself. And St. Paul says, when this happens, we are clothed in Christ, right? Like a garment. This isn't just a matter of taking a, a, a clean garment and throwing it over a dirty garment. There's this very, there's, and I know where it comes from, and I, and I understand why, but there's this theology of we are still somehow dirty. And then even though we're still dirty, the Christ kind of wraps himself kind of around us. And we just have this clean blanket or this clean garment covering up. <laughs> or kind of hiding the dirty garment that's underneath. I don't think that that's an accurate view. Because what happens when you take something that's washed clean and you put it over something that's dirty, what's going to happen? It's going to get dirty. The other day I had a fire at my house and I invited a couple of friends I hadn't seen in a while over and we sat outside at the fire. And it was cold, so I had on my jacket. And then later on, after everybody left, I took my jacket and I hung it up in my coat closet. And, and I hung it up right in between two other coats. So when I came in, my jacket smelled like smoke, right? And so what happened the, day, the next day or two days later when I went to go get my other jacket, I opened the closet, I grabbed the jacket I hadn't even worn, I put it on, I walked away, and what do you think I smelled? Smoke. Because the, the smoke that had penetrated the jacket, being in close proximity with the other jackets, the other jackets didn't make the, the smell of smoke go away, right? The opposite happened. The smell of smoke in that jacket went into the other jackets, and now my other jacket smelled like smoke because that's what happens with dirt. And so if we're clothed in Christ, right, if, if we are clothed with the robes of Christ, like St. Paul says in Galatians, <laughs> it can't be then that it's just something clean just covering up something that's dirty, 
No, what's happening is what is dirty has been made clean. What's actually, what's actually happening is what's that dirty garment is taken off and thrown away, and then a brand new clean garment is put on. We are clothed in Christ. We are made righteous. We have been given peace with God. And we start down this road of becoming more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And baptism, brothers and sisters, initiates us not only into the kingdom, but into the church. And it invites all, all who step into the waters of baptism into the same family that transcends all borders, all nationalities, all races, all walls, all divisions that result from human sinfulness. It transcends all of that. And if we have been baptized into Christ, and those who have been baptized into Christ are family in a way that other people aren't. It unites us with Christ right there in the Jordan, right? And it imparts to us the life of God which then enables us to turn around and be the type of people who will then lead others to Jesus, right? So they too can be brought into the family. There's always room for one more person to come into the family. And that's ultimately why we are forgiven and receive the Spirit ourselves, because then it is our job not just to gather here and to hear me attempt to preach a decent sermon. It's our job to be conformed day by day by day by day into the image of Christ. It is in our job to go to the north, the south, the east, and the west, to those whom God is called so they can hear the word of God, so they can hear the good news of Jesus Christ and be brought themselves into the waters of baptism through the water and the fire of the Holy Spirit. And so to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who set the pattern for us through the water and fire. Be all glory together with his Father, who is from everlasting, and his all-holy good and life-giving spirit. Amen. This is time I'd like everybody to please rise. So we affirm our faith from the hymn or traparion for theophany. Let's confess this together because I'm a terrible singer. All right. When you, O Lord, were baptized in the Jordan, the worship of the Trinity was made manifest. For the voice of the Father bore witness to you, calling you his beloved Son. And the Spirit in the form of a dove confirmed the truth of his word. O Christ, our God, who has appeared and enlightened the world, glory be to you. Amen. Thanks for listening to the podcast for Zion Stone United Church of Christ. We have deep roots here in our community, and we predate the founding of the United States itself. If you're looking for a traditionally grounded, biblically faithful church, come visit us. We just might be the church you're looking for. If you'd like to email me, you can reach me at malandsman at gmail.com. Please be sure to check us out online, zionstoneucc.com, and check us out on Facebook at Zionstone UCC. Thanks again for listening, and God bless you.